How's it going, Yankee fans? Welcome back to Fireside Yankees with your boys, Alex and Ryan. So some updates on the pitching market. It seems like the Yankees are playing it rather safe right now. It doesn't seem like general manager Brian Cashman wants to spend, you know, $200 million on Snell or Montgomery and doesn't want to spend a lot of money on a player over 30 years old. We've heard the rumors on Hector Neris. We're going to tell you a little bit about that, some developments on that front. Um, obviously, right now, the Yankees starting rotation has five guys. And you got Garrett Cole, you got Rodon, Nestor Clark, and Marcus Stroman. So conceivably, if you do bring in another starting pitcher, one of those guys is going to have to get kicked to the bullpen or they're going to have to be moved via trade. So right now, it seems like the, the Yankees will probably stick with what they have, but I do think that a bullpen arm makes sense. I want to talk about kind of a preferable strategy the Yankees can take to you know help their pitching long term. In terms of really reinforcing this unit in the future, maybe maybe over the summer deadline, talk about that a little bit. Why you know there is an avenue for the Yankees to um, not spend big right now, go get an expiring player um, at the deadline to support the World Series narrative and, and and you know aspirations. And I think that's probably in their best interest. And talk about what a guy like Hector Neris would bring to the Yankees in terms of bullpen support and why they probably could use it um, during the first half of this upcoming season. But before we dive into it, Ryan, how you do today, my friend? I'm doing great. You know, we got to see over the weekend, you know, two teams in Dallas and Philly go home. So, you know, can't be I'm having a good time, Alex, having a really good time with that. Um, but ultimately, you know, getting back to baseball here, Hector Neris is I mean, he kind of has everything going for him that the Yankees would like in a, in a reliever. I know that he's not a ground ball guy. He's actually a fly ball pitcher. And that does raise some concerns in a ballpark like Yankee Stadium. But according to StatCast, he actually would have allowed fewer home runs this past year uh, had he played at Yankee Stadium. And over the past two years would have allowed, you know, I think just one fewer home run uh, than he actually ended up allowing. I think he's ultimately going to be a really nice pitcher for this team if they ended up signing him. I know that, uh, you know, he's getting up there in age. He's entering his age 35 season. He'll turn 35 uh, in June. Um, and that's obviously concerning, but I don't think the Yankees are going to sign him to a four-year deal. I think it'd be a one- or two-year contract. Maybe that second year's an option. Um, you know, but the fastball's gotten better with Houston. I, I, he actually lost a tick of velocity, which, again, concerning. Like, I, I get it, but he actually added some vertical right on the pitch. The Astros got him to up his release point, which has allowed him to get more right on his four-seam fastball. It doesn't just sit in the dead zone and get barreled as much. If you look at his hard hit rate against, 27.8% this past year, um, 86.5-mile-per-hour exit velocity, when you're doing that and also keeping the ball in the air, you actually create a situation where you're not going to give up a lot of hits, which I know sounds surprising to some people, but soft contact in the air is actually the most ideal form of contact. Not because ground balls aren't good or because getting ground balls isn't good for a pitcher, but because soft hit fly balls rarely go for hits, right? Like a soft hit ground ball can get up the middle or, or kick on some dirt and get past somebody when error can be made. When it comes to fly balls, like how often do you see an outfielder outright just drop the baseball? It doesn't really happen. Uh, now, one could reasonably argue, well, fly balls go for home runs, and, and that's why you should hit the ball in the air if you're a, a hitter, and why you shouldn't want to allow a lot of contact in the air if you're a pitcher, but if you've got an arsenal like Neris's where you have a good fastball that gets a lot of ride, you have a splitter that gets a lot of separation off the fastball, and can get a lot of swings and misses, and you have a sinker which you can throw to right-handed batters, you kind of leave yourself not very susceptible to damage contact, and Neris has been able to limit his home run per nine rate. It was 1-3-0 with the Phillies uh, up until 2021 when he signed with the Astros in 2022, and then with the Astros, it's well below one. He had a .41 in 2022, .92 in 2023, 
has been a high leverage guy for the Astros as well. His plus 3.83 win probability added, I believe, ranks in the top five for all relievers in baseball last year. So the Astros routinely put him in clutch situations and he routinely came out on the positive side. He also makes a lot of appearances. Over the last three years, he has 215 appearances. I believe that's the third most for anyone coming out of the bullpen. So he's durable. He's reliable. You're going to get a guy who's going to pitch for you all year. I know that that does mean he also has a lot of mileage on his arm and that could bring issues, but I'm not going to fault the Yankees for bringing in a guy who's very durable. And look, if he, he, he breaks down in year one with the Yankees, again, I'm not going to fault the Yankees for bringing him in because number one, he's going to be cheap, most likely. And number two, the track record suggests that he should stay healthy. And sometimes that doesn't always work out in your favor. I understand that. But, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna, I'm gonna lean on the side of he's been durable in his career. I believe he'll be durable going forward. He's projected to throw 70 innings next year as well. So that would be highly valuable. And I, I know that, you know, the Yankees don't necessarily have a, like a shortage of relievers. But it's nice to look at your bullpen and say, hey, we just added a guy who put up a 171 ERA and was the like the primary setup guy for the AL West winning Houston Astros, and for the past two years, has been a part of an Astros team that's won a World Series title, that's gone to the ALCS, he's pitched in big games, he succeeded in big games, he has a positive win probability added in the postseason with the Astros. Overall, like, the the kind of the, I would say, like, the, the numbers are really good, and then kind of those off-field things, those intangibles, those, hey, can you pitch in the postseason? What, what, how do you react to tough environments? He's also fiery, displays a lot of emotions on the mound, Alex, and I like that. I like that a relief pitcher. I need a guy who's going to pump up the crowd. I need a guy like that type of energy is good for a clubhouse. And again, kind of like one of those guys you hate to play against, but you love to play for or play behind. Um, and I think that's a great guy to bring into your clubhouse. And they've kind of repeatedly shown this offseason. They're willing to bring in guys who show a little bit of, of, of a flair for the dramatic. This is going to be a different looking Yankee team next year in personality. And I would be excited if they brought in Naris. I mean, talk about personality. Yeah, we're going to be a lot different. You got Juan Soto pimping home runs. You got, you know, a guy like Neris who obviously brings energy. Marcus Stroman, um, who is crazy, <laughs> to say the least. So, you know, when you're looking at this Yankee team, as you said, personality, man. This Yankee team really hasn't had that much in recent years. We've been pretty dead, like pretty dull, uh, pretty boring. I mean, the only guy that really has shown that kind of anger, um, Garrett Cole, obviously, when he's when he's uh, shoving and then you know Nestor Cortez when he's having fun on the mound and doing his thing everybody else's has been pretty you know boring to watch aside from Judge smashing home runs obviously but there hasn't been much energy I think we're going to see that change I mean that's what makes those those old teams so exciting some of the energy that you'd see uh from those star players it it hypes everybody up and honestly it gives them a little bit of motivation so Yes, I think Naris will be a really interesting acquisition. Uh, but my take on the on the bullpen matter, really adding a guy like this, is one, Naris has experience in a, in a World Series. He has experience in many playoff appearances. So you're getting a guy that knows how to compete in that environment. The Yankees are kind of a little bit inexperienced in that regard. Um, you're going to be relying on a lot of pitchers that really don't have much playoff experience. You know, Ian Hamilton, uh, Clay Holmes, you know, those guys are not used to pitching in playoff environments in, you know, the, the, the ninth inning in a freaking World Series, can we trust them? I'm not so sure. Um, that's a concern for me. It really is. And at the same time, you're relying on Carlos Rodon to bounce back. You're relying on Nestor Cortez to bounce back. You're relying on Clark Schmidt to develop. You have to have an insurance policy. And I think the insurance policy is having a really strong bullpen that can help you um, finish games. And, you know, we know that, you know, who knows if Rodon's going to be able to push past six innings? Who knows if Clark Schmidt, he historically has not been able to push past the sixth inning. We're going to need really good bullpen arms and a lot of them to get through some of these contests. And ultimately, that's what's going to win you games, um, having that support there. And the, the Yankees have to be concerned about that and to a degree, in my opinion. 
rotation. I think that right now I'm certainly not sold on the rotation. I think they're, they're taking a couple of major gambles. Um, Probability-wise, one or two of them are not going to work out. One or two of those risks are going to end up hitting them back in the face. Maybe one, of, maybe one of three. Two or three of their lucky actually work out the way that they think it will. So... I think that right now the best interest of the team is to wait until the summer trade deadline, go and try to acquire a healthy player. I think waiting until the summer actually gives them a little bit of leverage because they're going to be able to acquire a player for a lot less, and at the same time, you're going to be able to guarantee they're healthy. You know, whether it be Shane Bieber or Corbin Burns, it could be somebody else, it could be Dylan Cease, it could be Lozardo. Like, you see if they're healthy. There are concerns about guys like Shane Bieber's health, like Lozardo's health. Do you want to make a move on one of those guys now, not knowing if they're going to be available to even pitch? Um, that's kind of my take on it. Like, like, you get them now, you're running that risk. You're going to run into the same problem in a couple months. Um, so I do believe that waiting is in the best interest of this Yankee team. Um, so they're playing it safe. And I think that's totally fine right now, Ryan. <clears throat> I'm, in fact, I'm totally for that. Hector Neris brings a lot of experience. The Yankees need more experience in the pitching, uh, you know, kind of regard, obviously. Even even Rodon doesn't have much playoff experience. You know what I mean? Like, Cortez has a little bit. Um, Clark Schmidt has none. Like, what are we really? What are we really like looking at right now? Is a team that is very, very weak in regard to experience in the postseason. We need guys that have that level of, um, you know, just just familiarity with the intensity of those situations. Hector Neris has that, so I do believe that in terms of veteran leadership, guys who've been there, guys who have done it, guys who know the mentality it takes to win, um, I think that that's a good signing. However, he did decline an eight point five million dollar player option for this season. So, you know, what kind of contract are you willing to give a thirty four year old bullpen arm? Maybe two years, twenty million. I think that may be realistic, but maybe you have a different number in mind. I don't want to give a guy like that three, four years because eventually he's going to fall off, um, and it's not going to be pretty, and the Yankees are going to be locked into a lot of money. Yeah, so I think that it would be like, again, like a two-year deal, maybe $10 million or, or uh, you know, or not $10 million, just total. I, I think more close to that, like 12 to 13 $14 million uh, range, maybe some incentives to boost it up. He declined an eight point, uh, I think an $8.5 million club option. So the total money at the very least has to be above that. And it has to be significantly above that. Like I would imagine he's willing to say, all right, I'll take uh, like a million less a year for more guaranteed money, especially at an older age. But you're going to have to give him like two years, 14 million, two years, 15 million. Hell, I could see even saying, all right, here's the same amount of AAV, $8 million, um, but it's just over two years now. So you get that extra year. Um, and, and you know, maybe uh, in that second year, you give him a club option or I mean a player option, excuse me. So if he wants to opt out, he can, um, you know, whatever it may be, but I think that you need to give him a way to, like, you have to incentivize. There, there's a reason he opted out, and it wasn't to take less money with the New York Yankees. It was because he thinks he can get more guaranteed money, which he definitely can. Um, and I think that it's going to take, honestly, I'd say he might even take a two-year two deal, $10 million a year to get him. Um, but we'll wait and see. Like, I, I'm not necessarily sure, um, you know, whether he's willing to take, again, like, less AV kind of like how Stroman did. Like, Stroman's getting paid less in 2023, 2024, than he would have had he stayed with the Cubs. But he has that extra guaranteed year and a vesting option that he can either pick up or decline if he has the 140 innings pitched in 2025. And end of the day, like I think Naris is kind of looking for something similar. But again, that's not source. It's kind of me guessing here. Um, but, you know, you mentioned insurance, right? Like having a really good bullpen gives the Yankees insurance. And, and I would agree. Um, and I also think that having a really good farm system helps with that. And the Yankees recently today, Baseball America released that the Yankees have six top 100 prospects. That's tied for the most among any team on that list. Baseball perspective is a little more uh, bearish. They said three, uh, which makes sense, right? Like I, I think that there were legitimate reasons to leave off guys like Everson Pereira or even Roderick Arias off the top 100 list. But both of them had the consensus opinion that guys who just missed out on their list included Will Warren. 
And I think Will Warren is insurance for this team. I think Will Warren is going to play a much bigger role on the New York Yankees than people think. There's a reason why reports came out earlier in the offseason that they view him as a fifth starter. They view him as a long relief option. And this wasn't coming out when Yamamoto signed. This came out beforehand. And I distinctly remember it coming out beforehand. Um, you know, there's a reason why he was on Hot Stove talking you know, about his role with the team and talking about wanting to be in the Bronx this year. There's a reason why the Yankees have quickly you know, just had him rush up through the minor leagues. They called him up from high A to double A in 2022, around the same time they called up Chase Hampton from high A to double A this past year, right? So they were very aggressive in his promotion. And then this year, double A to triple A. And, and we're already talking about him being a major league guy. He spent two years with the organization. And this is an organization that we basically had to get on our knees and beg for them to call up Austin Wells and get on our knees and beg for them to call up Everson Pereira and get on our knees and beg for them to call up other prospects. They don't just call up prospects just to say, Look, we have a young player. They call up prospects as they think they're good or not. We've, I mean, Esteban Florial, they basically, without ever really firmly saying it, basically said, we think this guy isn't good. They, they said it for like two or three years, right? They didn't care what numbers he was putting up in AAA. They didn't care what Yankee Twitter thought. They didn't care that you guys were commenting angry things at them. Nobody, no, they don't care about that stuff. They care about their personal evaluations, and they seem to evaluate Will Warren very highly. Again, in terms of stuff plus, Pitching plus, the best pitcher in AAA this past year. His sinker-sweeper combination is sick. Worked on his four-seam fastball. Has a really good changeup. I, I think this is a difference maker for the Yankees if they're able to develop him. And also, the same in the same breath, cost-controlled starting pitching, right? Like, that's something that's going to be a big, a, a big talking point for the Yankees. Cost-controlled talent, things of that nature. And I promise you that conversation or those, those words, cost-controlled or affordable or young or whatever it may be, you're going to hear those words come out a lot more from guys like Jack Curry as we enter next offseason when the Yankees have the situation with Juan Soto because let's be real here, they can't let him go. They cannot let him go anywhere else. They, they absolutely cannot. Like, it's a, it's a disaster if they do. Um, and you know that Cole's only getting older, Judge is only getting older. Rodon's only getting older. They might want to make other expenditures. And if they want to do something like that, they're going to need to be able to develop cost-controlled guys. We don't. We shouldn't need to, like, no disrespect to Carlos Rodon, but it's kind of embarrassing that we signed him and that we were talking about needing to get a number two starter. Like, that's embarrassing. That, that like, no disrespect, but Rodon, like, that shouldn't happen, right? Um, it was embarrassing that we needed a third baseman after trading for Josh Donaldson. It's embarrassing that we needed a left fielder after extending Aaron Hicks. It's it's just, it, that's embarrassing. We needed a left fielder after trading for Joey Gallo. We needed a left fielder after trading for Andrew Benintendi. We needed a center fielder after extending Hicks. Like, that, that kind of stuff can't keep happening, right? It just cannot keep happening. First base isn't even secured. And, and we, we we just, you know, a year ago, we signed Anthony Rizzo, right? So, you know, the Yankees are going to need to be able to develop internally. We've seen them, you know, have really good prospects over the last two years. They've really done a good job of developing them. But now they have to be able to lean on that farm system to, to give them a couple of guys. Not, not you know, an ace, a number two starter, number three starter, but just give me a number five starter, right? Like, if Clark Schmidt is an average starter next year, I'll consider it a success story because you don't have to pay for that. You don't have to pay a guy, you know, like you don't have to pay fucking Lucas Giolito $22 million or $20 million a year to be your fifth starter. No disrespect to Lucas Giolito, but he put up an ERA of like five last year. I'm not paying $20 million for that. I can get that out of like Clark Schmidt. I can get that out of like Will Warren, right? Like that's kind of the point of having a good farm system. So I can say, I have that money saved up. Now it's time to go pay Juan Soto. Now it's time to go pay this guy or that guy or whatever it may be. So I, I think Will Warren's a big part of this equation too. And, and I'm going to have a hot take out here. He'll be the Yankees' fifth starter by the end of the season. Regardless of what they do at the deadline, he'll be the Yankees' fifth starter. I, I think he his stuff is that good. I, I think he can go toe-to-toe with anybody else in that rotation outside of Cole. Like, I, I don't mean, like, again, no, that's not, a, that's not putting anybody in the rotation down. That's just me propping Will Warren up. The stuff is that good. Go on a pitch-to-pitch basis. You go pound-for-pound. Pound. Will Warren's, he matches up with all of them. And that's not even bringing up Chase Hampton, who's on both Baseball America and Baseball Prospectus' top 100 list. And Aaron Boone mentioned him as upper league minor league depth. 
that guy might be one of the best pitching prospects the Yankees have had in the last decade. Like, he's he's damn good. I know people are like, but Chance Adams, but Justice Sheffield. Those guys were scrubs compared to Chase Hampton. Again, no disrespect to those guys. Again, you, you got to the show, you made the major leagues more successful than like 99% of people to ever walk the earth, right? But Chase Hampton's legit. And, and I think that these, both of those guys are keys to what the Yankees are going to be doing this year and next year in the pitching staff. And again, they have to develop somebody, right? Like we can't keep talking about how good their prospects are uh, and, and convince people about that and, and, you know, prop them up. If in 2026, we still don't know who our shortstop is. We still don't have a catcher. We still don't have a, you know, our rotations not filled out, all that kind of stuff. So I think their farm system is going to play a huge role in what their pitching depth looks like in 2024. Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, look, the the pitching depth, I think we have some good young pieces. You mentioned Hampton, obviously, Will Warren. Um, look, I think the upside is certainly there. They're just taking a couple gambles. I think waiting until the deadline is preferable to acquire another arm. Um, making the move now for a 31-year-old Blake Snell and giving him 200 mil would be a mistake to me. Um, ultimately, you look at the risk of that. Longevity is an issue. Injuries are an issue. And to be quite honest with you, you're doing that for the next two years. You're trying to win a championship now, but you're basically forfeiting, you know, having good salary health in the future. And uh, the Yankees are already at $300 million in active total projected tax allocation. So, you know, Hal Steinbrenner already said it, man. We don't. I don't think you need to have a three hundred million payroll to win championship, and the Yankees are about to push over that, if not already over that. And the truth is, Snell would push them well over that, thirty million dollars over that. And then you have two contracts who are, you know, going to hold you down two thousand twenty seven when you want to go out and you know get more guys, and you have Snell and Giancarlo Stanton counting fifty million dollars against your salary, your payroll, and they're both awful. Like that's the that's what the future looks like for the Yankees, and. I will sit here, and I imagine a lot of you guys probably think the same way. Snell is going to degrade at some point. He's already shown signs of it. He had one, he had a great season last year. I'm not discounting that, but that's kind of an anomaly in, in his whole grand scheme of pitching um, sample size. So, you know, are we going to better the anomaly, or are we going to see it for what it is? And, you know, a cautionary tale um, at buying at the peak of a player's value. And, like, Cashman knows this. He'd be buying at the top of the of the value. It's like, you know, buying Google when it was at the highest price point it's been in 10 years and then hoping it's going to keep going. Uh, maybe it does, has in the past, but, you know, with a, with a player like Snell, I just I just don't see it. You know, he's not getting any better. I think he's, we saw the best of him last year. He's only bound for regression. He's going to regress to the mean. And, like, we've seen many players go through this cycle of regressing to the mean. Snell, Montgomery, they're the next up on the docket. And, if the Yankees can't get him at a reasonable, fair price, they should not even entertain it. And I think that Cashman's doing the right thing by being cautious. But guys, always happy to hear perspectives down below in the YouTube comments. Make sure to like and subscribe as always. And we'll catch you guys on the next Fireside Yankees episode.